Green Street Joinery and the American Craftsman Podcast are proud to partner with Montana Brand Tools. Montana Brand Tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist in Montana, USA. With numerous patents dating back to the invention of the Hexshank system by our founders, we strive to produce accessories that add precision, flexibility, and efficiency to your toolkit. In addition to woodworking tools, we produce many high-quality cutting tools that are used by the aerospace, medical, automotive, and industrial markets. Our end product has a fit and finish that is beyond comparison. Montana Brand Tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. For 10% off your order, visit MontanaBrandTools.com and use the coupon code AmericanCraftsman. Whoa. All right, here we go. We're live. Okay. Season 2, Episode 5. Wow. The uh, the first installment of Colonial Furniture. Yeah, yeah. We got... Uh, it's a big one. 16 pages here. <laughs> well, this is it's for four episodes. So we're recording this on, what is it? It's uh, October 14th. So tomorrow, episode four will be released, the final episode of the um, early American period. And today, as you know, we're going to sit and we'll we'll knock out the whole yeah. uh, entire colonial period today. Try and stay ahead of the curve. Yeah, you know, stuff happens and uh, we'd rather, rather have a couple in the chamber. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Plus, this is kind of a, a down week. We're kind of coming off of maker's camp. Yeah, still uh, recovering. <laughs> That's right. That's what I mean. Got my uh, my nice IKAG coffee cup. Thanks, yeah. Matt. I had my first cup in that this morning. I like these cups. They yeah. have a nice shape. It, it like uh, a direct injection of coffee. Yes. It's instead yes. of that vertical, the vertical edge. Yeah. It's got a nice lead in. Yeah. Well, we're talking about uh, the period between 1700 and 1780. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that came to my mind is whoever designates the names for these, you know, periods of furniture, I would have thought that colonial would have been the first and early American would have been the second. Right. Yeah. Because early American, it's not America yet. It's, yeah. It's yeah. the colonies. Right. Colonial. It becomes America. Yeah. We become America during this time period. But I guess we should mention, too, these periods are kind of. Yeah, We're not taking these out of like a you know a textbook by some hardcore uh, <laughs> furniture guy. These yeah. are um, kind of ambiguous, you know, not ambiguous, but they're kind of just it's loosey goosey yeah, to a certain extent. We could, I don't even know who made the these designations of these twelve periods, but yeah, there's definitely periods between and in, interspersed with these twelve also. But you know, we'll touch on all that. Right, there are a couple of different styles that. Don't quite make it into the top 12, like mm-hmm. Sheridan and Heppel White and stuff like yep. that. I thought Sheridan is one of them. Is it? I think so. It, it, it might be the next one. Oh, I thought Federal might be the next one since we became a nation. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Why don't they call that constitutional? <laughs> or Declaration of Independencian. There you go. I think I have the 12. Do you here. have the 12 written down somewhere? I, I think so. Yeah, we've been taking it one step at a time. Mm, nah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You yeah. guys will find out what it is when we when we, yeah. when we, put when it we do. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> essentially, we're gonna backtrack a little bit and and just kind of review because uh, colonial style really it's by the by the end of the this period, 
America starts to come away with its own sense of style. But mm-hmm. up till this point, everything's really just a rehash of what's going on in Europe. Right. Um, and everything is kind of, you know, there's a lot of good furniture being made, but the majority of furniture is just for practical purposes right. up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens is, we, they take the colonial furniture takes all this this practical stuff, the the early uh, designs that influenced furniture making. You had the early American, and this was the hit of the of the last podcast series. My pronunciation, my pronunciation of uh, Jacobean. Yeah, and now I'm <coughs> totally confused as to what it actually is. I think it's Jacobean. Jacobean. Yeah. I stand corrected. I feel like a dick for uh, well, they were being so confident in Jacobian. I think there were the two. There are two separate references yeah. for the word. That's what happened. Yeah, the uh, the the Jacobian is that how you say? It? I don't even know. It's like in reference to the Jacobites or something. Who was like uprising yeah. against one of the kings or something? Yeah, because it's um, Jacobian refers to James, King James. Mm. Like Caroline refers to King Charles, Charles, and William and Mary, Queen Anne. You could see the the theme here. All these furniture styles are named after monarchs. Uh, yeah. Until we end up with the Chippendale at the as the 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 pinnacle of the colonial furniture styles. Yeah, when it starts to be a furniture maker, who the yeah the, he, the style is actually named first after. guy, first mm-hmm. dude. Um, so it, it takes 80 years, you know, almost a century. So it's not this, like, you know, things aren't cut and dry. Right. This is all quite fluid. <clears throat> well, yeah, whereas now, you know, styles are changing every three to five years, mm-hmm. maybe even less, depending on where you are. Yeah. So we're taking all these European styles. The ones that are done in America are generally a little bit more conservative. Mm-hmm. And because of the lack of, like highly skilled craftsmen and and the interpretive nature of of the work, it's a little bit less ornate. I'm gonna say infrastructure probably as well. You know, in Europe you have these shops that have been there mm-hmm. producing furniture for some time, and people are coming here and having to start with nothing. Exactly. Um, so you know you're working in a a pretty rudimentary shop. Right. It's not like you can go down to Woodcraft and pick up a yeah. planer and a joiner. I mean, even just getting some sharp tools, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you might have to go down to the blacksmith. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to imagine, like, things like benches and, and even, like, l- the lays that they use, like the mm-hmm. foot-powered, uh, what do they call them, treadle lays. Yeah. Um, they probably weren't bringing a lot of that here because, you know, space was was precious on these ships. Right. It's like the more uh, people and, like, um, uh what's the word I'm looking for? You know, like food, water, the, the, the necessities. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that they, they had to maximize the space for on these boats because they were coming to a place where, you know, there's all these unknowns. They're not gonna be like, bring the workbench along. (laughs) That's right. So I figured I'd do, I went back to my teaching days Mm -hmm. and figured we'd do like a quick review. Cool. Um, so what were what were the pieces that were being built? You know, we we said that the chest was probably the preeminent piece. It was the most important thing. Mm-hmm. People probably came over with a chest with all their stuff jammed into it. Yep. 
Um, it was basically a box, especially for the the poorer folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of these people, you know, they didn't have much. Just like it's the milk crate of the 1600s. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, stolen that's a from behind way. the convenience store. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. <laughs> and and those higher up the ranks had the banker's box, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> mm. I got plenty of those. Uh, so those were built in the early American style. Chairs and stools, you know, people wanted something to sit on. You, you sit. had your turn chair, mm-hmm. which you could really kind of imagine, you know, had the turn legs. Yep. Everything was kind of joined with a hole where the, the turning would fit into it. Um, There's the cane chair, which instead of a wooden seat had the, you know, the woven cane. Mm-hmm. The wainscot chair. Um started having joinery the the just the back legs were joined to the the rails and styles of that held the seat uh, a stool a settle which is kind of like a bench almost like a chest hmm. that you can sit on yeah um then we had the tables we went pretty deep into the trestle table last time yep um you also had like a drop leaf a, a gate leg um and some beds, you know, again, this is the essentials. You got your, your trundle bed that would slide underneath the big yep. bed, a four-poster. Um, and those things were, were pretty clunky, not like, uh, you know, we think of a, a yeah, those delicate like, four-poster. Mm-hmm, like with those pencil. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, style-wise, we'll, we'll flip back and talk about the, the main influences. You had the Jacobean. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of those styles that maybe everybody doesn't know when you hear the word, but if you saw it, like we're looking at a picture of it right now, a chair, mm-hmm. it's so easily identifiable. Yeah. People would say, oh, I didn't know that was Jacobean. It's, it's like really heavy and mm-hmm. thick, a lot of carving the the back and the seat are solid. The back is carved. Yeah. I mean, it's like a throne. Right. Think and of like a chair that a priest would be sitting yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. What we'll do is, so we have the, uh, I brought the, my iMac over here, and we have the pictures up there. But what I'll do is, so when we're looking at something over here, I'll put it up over <laughs> this region. <But laughs> magically, yeah. you'll insert it. <laughs> Yeah, I had to zoom in so many times to get that. That's why the, the quality is so bad. That's the thing about these big screens. It's You think it's going to make everything bigger. and It just makes it fuzzier. Yeah, because, the, you know, the I guess, well, I guess not that great of an image, but um, I had to zoom in about a thousand yeah, times. Yeah, a lot of these were taken from, like, museum websites and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, and they probably took the picture in the 80s or something. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It looks like a lot of my pictures. <laughs> Um, one note that I have here is although, um, well, not although these things were built to be viewed from all sides, which mm-hmm. I think was sort of a, a, a step forward. Right. Like instead of stuff being pushed against the wall, now you could go around the back and from the sides and you'd see the workmanship on all, from all angles. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an insane chair. It is. And this is early work. Um, after the Jacobeans, there's a very short period where, uh, Oliver Cromwell takes over in England and it, 
things look like kind of go Puritan and real straightforward. But then uh, what they call Restoration of Carolean comes in when Charles II takes over. <laughs> it's like a history class. You know? uh, yeah, hey. <laughs> but you could see how like current events are influencing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like furniture design, especially as I'm learning all this stuff as we're going along, it, there's so much influence from outside the happenings in the world. We've kind of lost that, I feel like. You yeah. Know, maybe since the uh, the 50s, 60s. Well, even the, I mean, I guess now, like, te you think of technology kind of mm -hmm. as the driver. Like, you see in the atomic age, things start to have this space That's age true. kind of look. Um, but now, now there's just, I feel like, more repurposing of old designs. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like music. Like, yeah, what now can someone do that's going to be brand new? Really, not, <laughs> it's it's all been done, basically. Um, like, it's... It start everything starts out simple and gets more and more complicated. So it's because it's pulling from all of the older things. Um, so we've kind of like run out of new. I like those two examples. One music that's a great parallel, and I would have struggled to think of something, but like the Atomic Age stuff, like fins on cars mm -hmm. and the, the rocket shaped lights yeah, and the, the yeah. Airstream trailer. Yeah. You know, all that stuff, that's true. That's really cool. So, I mean, how would you describe, I, I'll, I'll tell you that the the Carolean um, design, it was like in a direct reaction to the simplification of stuff that happened during Cromwell's reign in mm. England. And they were um, looking over to like France, Louis XIV and all that stuff. So you could see it's kind of florid and yeah. So and, Cromwell was a Puritan, right? Yeah, yeah. So he might have identified. It might have been like the identifier that people think of Puritans that were like a little more simple and humble. Whereas mm -hmm. you know some of the Puritans that we talked about were more, um, you know, open to being a little bit more out there. Yeah, but, regular folk. Yeah, to me it has like a sort of like a Gothic look. Yeah. So, um. You can see those S curves. The same thing, though. It's still got the flat seat mm -hmm. and the straight back. We, we haven't gotten into, like, comfort yet, it looks like. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a little <laughs> ominous looking. <laughs> it's like something that you would see, like, a modern goth person. Have, yeah, right? Maybe yeah. Maybe not gothic in terms of architecture. But, but it's turnings, carvings. Yeah. Um, and a small amount of joinery there where the seat is is meeting the you know the back rails and yeah. stuff but very uh thin and not so heavy mm -hmm. um another thing that happens between um jacobine and caroline is they shifting from wall to to walnut as the main hmm. like preference for wood away from oak um i get down with that yeah and i think that might have something to do with the uh abundance of walnut in france too yeah. Uh, so then we have William and Mary. This was a, a style I was not familiar with at all. Um, it's but it it was mentioned enough that hmm. you know I brought it up. We got a high res pick now. Yeah, and you can see it's it's pretty similar. It's now a lot of these things are happening and overlapping at the same time. The dates I have for restoration are Carolean, the 1660s to the 1680s. And then William and Mary picks up right after that 
1735. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sort of a simplification almost of of the Carolean. Yeah. This is looking more American to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Um, whereas the the Carolean look and the Jacob Jacobean, whatever. <laughs> now I'm ready to move past all these Jacobean yeah. references <laughs> next month. Um this looks more American to me. The, yeah. The caning, the the uh those straight turnings on the on the like that run uh all the way in the back mm-hmm. as the legs in the back. Um yeah, caning was a big thing, um, you know, brought in a, a guy, that was his specialty. You know, you had the turners, you had the joiners, you had mm-hmm. the caners. Um, so uh, here are my notes on the William & Mary. It, it was influenced by recent French furniture traditions, which were in turn influenced by the Baroque Italian uh, furniture mm. designs. Um, and uh, they were looking at all the em- the elements to contribute to sort of like an overall shape or a look, mm-hmm. um, which maybe they didn't do in the past. They're, they're sort of trying to picture this thing as uh, a finished piece, um, had high relief carvings, just like the Carolean, yeah. and um, strong curves. Um, and it was still a pretty sturdy-looking piece of furniture. In this instance, we're looking at a chair. Um, it, you know, it, as we as we move forward, we'll start to see how um, delicate things can begin to look. Here, everything's still still fairly heavy. You can see these S. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There, I'm sure there's a term for them. These sort of S turning, uh, S carvings down here in the feet. Yeah. It's starting to look more comfortable to me. Yeah, the um, <laughs> they're they're tilting the the back a yeah, little bit more. Yeah, this this Carolean it looks very rigid and and um, sort of uncomfortable, and this is starting to look a little more comfortable. Yeah, it's a bit lighter. Yeah, like something you could you know spend an hour or two sitting in. Um, Queen Anne's the next style, and I'll just. Uh, Remind everyone, we're talking about these are all the styles that contribute to mm. the, the uh, early American, um, the clon- I'm sorry, the colonial design aesthetic. That's a gorgeous piece. Yeah, yeah. You know, when, when you say Queen Anne, everybody thinks of the, like, these, um, I guess, Queen Anne revival, you would call mm-hmm. it. Like, we're talking 19... 19- I guess 50s, 60s, 70s is when it's the stuff you see now on Facebook Marketplace that somebody took and they painted with chalk paint. <laughs> and it's got, you know, these style hardware with the backing plates. But yeah. this, I mean. Now we're talking furniture. Right. Yeah. Um, this thing's got all kinds of veneer work. Wow. Look at this crotch figure here, book matched. Um, it's the introduction of the cabriole leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- now we're we're getting into the territory where people who make furniture nowadays have heard these terms. Yep, we just drop finials. Like you could see this in a store today, in a home today. Yeah, and you could see a you know a fake version over at uh, like uh, <laughs> Raymond Raymond Raymore Flanagan. Flanagan. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. For like some obscene price too. Yeah, this is a piece of furniture that we're looking at that's uh, probably built in the mid 1700s. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost 300 years old. And and look at the style. Uh, and well, this is a surviving piece. Yeah, you know, this is a real photo. I mean, that's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. We'd struggle to to make something that nice. Yeah. Um. So again, you have the cabriole legs. Mm-hmm. There's a real fluidity now to the design here. Um, there's an emphasis on line and form instead of ornament, which like with that Carolean, the Jacobean, mm-hmm. even the the William and Mary, it's it's ornamentation rather than, um, you know, this this flows. Yeah, I mean, this it kind of has like an animal, like it looks like a spider or something. Yeah, with yeah, like fangs. Right, those legs look alive. Yeah, um, that that says something about the uh, craftsman that made it. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a here's our first fun fact. I like fun facts. The term Queen Anne was first applied to this style about a hundred years after it appeared. Huh. They didn't call it Queen Anne back then. Do we know what they called it? <laughs> they called it Furniture. Late... <laughs> right. <laughs> they called it late Baroque. What do you call this? It's a table. <laughs> or early Georgian. Huh. Again, you know, sticking with the monarch right. name. So it must have been like early on in King George's reign mm-hmm. or um so the the next furniture that we get into, uh, which is what wraps up colonial uh, American furniture, is Chippendale. And we'll spend some time on Chippendale in the coming episodes because he was so influential. Yeah. Um, I love the name of his shop. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll keep that back. Yeah, we'll, we'll... <laughs> Stay tuned for that one. <laughs> the name of Chippendale's furniture shop. <laughs> we'll surprise everyone. But I mean, describe this Chippendale chair we're looking at. Um, it's definitely low slung. The uh the seat, it actually it has a little bit of an angle forward and they're keeping with like that, you know, maybe 5 Five degrees angled back on the mm-hmm. back. It's it's um it's carved, but the back is it's very light, um, but fully carved. Um, you know, and it's made up of this intertwined sort of like scrollage and leafage. Yeah, that's the thing. Um uh Chippendale, you can see how the back legs are kind of angled backwards. Oh, this is a good picture. Oh yeah, we got some good detail there on this 2012 iMac. <laughs> it's an upholstered seat. Yeah, uh, yeah, with uh, almost like a, it looks a little bit Asian influenced mm-hmm. the seat. That's a good pickup because um, there are a couple of different kinds of Chippendale. This, and you could see even in the the back splat that that's got some Asian influence too. You know, it's kind of got that bamboo mm-hmm. look. That was a that was one of the the um what would you call it subcategories of Chippendale. He had three okay. kind of um uh palettes that he worked in. But the the splat is open and carved. Like think of this chair compared to the Jacobean chair. Oh yeah. 
I mean, this um, looks like you could lift it up with one hand. The right. Jacobean chair. Go back to it. Need, uh, there it is. We need the moving company. Yeah, you need a hand truck to move this thing. The back legs are like three by three square. Yeah. And the back, just the back, that's a table if you lay it down flat. Yeah, it's about 125 <laughs> board feet in there. It almost looks like an Aztec, like, throne. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, although Chippendale, he shares a lot of characteristics with the Queen Anne, you can see he's taking it uh, to the next level. Mm -hmm. um, and the other big thing that Chippendale did was he created a real preference for mahogany. And we're going to get into mahogany in one of our coming episodes because it's it's such a, a big uh, switch. Yeah. And, you know, it creates this, this uh, worldwide ripple phenomenon yeah yeah um and there's no shortage of um fans of chippendale and, and i mean among experts like yeah you know how you'll go to websites like the guy who's um in charge of auctions for christie's and all these places and they'll you know talk about chippendale as the greatest ever and um, in one of the notes I wrote down here is some examples of the Massachusetts made Chippendale are some of the most sophisticated American furniture ever, yeah, ever produced. We're talking, I mean, this the carving in the back of this is it's it's really insane, yeah, it's 300 years old, right? In mahogany, yeah, which you know is a easy, easy, easier wood to work than some, but. Not the easiest in terms of carving. No. I mean, this, the movement in these little ribbons here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that chair is alive. Yeah. It's amazing. A uh, tied, you know, this is a tied bow at the right. top. <laughs> so it's basically, it's it's made of, like, ribbon yeah. and uh, sort of... I, I guess like um I think those things all mirror like a, nature in some yeah like sense. sort of the acanthus mm -hmm. kind of like vine insane yeah really really gorgeous um uh, just the the curves the the proportions mm -hmm. um great use of negative space that was a, another thing that he was really uh, well known for um Oh, well, we mentioned this before, but fun fact number two, Chippendale Furniture is the first to be named after the maker mm. rather than a monarch. And that's uh, Thomas Chippendale. Yeah, Thomas Chippendale. Um, so Chippendale, Queen Anne, William and Mary, Caroline, Jacobean. These are all the, the, the sub sets that make up colonial furniture. Mm-hmm. Um, what what influences design and becomes colonial furniture? Um, a big jump, you know. Yeah, think the, about the it. The Jacobean is still um, obviously because the it it passed through both um, periods. The early American was mostly influenced by Jacobean, and you see it's still influenced in the early colonial. But once you get into the Carolean and so on, I mean, it's a big big difference. Yeah, and. You're you're really only talking a period of like fifty to a hundred years mm -hmm. 
in transition. You could see just the workmanship and the, the eye. You could see how life is changing in the, in the <laughs> you know, the early, uh, early America because things before were very not. I don't want to say primitive, but like you look at even the Hartford chest, which is heavily carved. It's very, I don't know, like almost uh, blue collar. Yeah, it's Whereas heavy. This is, you know, the uh, the it's, local guy yeah. working in the field as a farmer. He's not sitting on this chair. It screams refinement, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's that's it. Um, I mean, you could have this chair in your house today, mm-hmm. and it, it fit perfectly. Yeah. So you, and that tells us how much influence. His designs have had. Yeah, the funky print, you know, that's like, uh, you know, know, we'll talk about relations to today in episode four, but you see that a lot now, these sort of funky floral prints, even in wallpaper and stuff like that. Um, You know, 10 years ago, you probably wouldn't have a chair like this in your house. No. Not unless you were an you know an <laughs> antique collector. Or you, had, <laughs> you and I would not have one. No, nah, but this could go in a yeah. modern home. Yeah, and and still fit in with this you know like transitional design they call mm-hmm. it, where you sort of just mix and matching a bunch of different stuff. I um, think I have chairs from IKEA. Uh, yeah, I got. Do you ever see the price of a chair? A good chair? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's why. That's why I have chairs from IKEA. Yeah. Even an antique, you know, a good antique chair. Yeah. All right. So we have these designs. Uh, So what's influencing these designs? Um, Now, this is no shocker, but the classics, you know, Mm -hmm. all the stuff that we still use. um, uh, This guy named this Italian, Andrea, uh, a guy, Andrea or Andrea Palladio. He wrote uh, the four books of architecture. Hmm. I Quattro Libri dell'Architettura. And it gets translated into English right around the time that uh, the Carolinian restoration uh, designs are are sort of, you know, the it thing in America. And this guy, he went through all the classics and he detailed everything. He, He talked about Building materials, techniques, wow. the the columns, you know that um, a lot of you'll see in a lot of the you know the furniture design. Like we still have in in our moldings and everything today, the Corinthian and the Ionic, all mm-hmm. the all the capitals, the arches, yeah, the entablatures. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that vaulted ceilings. That all goes way way back in oh, time. Yeah. Um, and his second book covered uh, urban townhouses and villas, the design of, uh, you know, homes and how uh, furniture, you know, fits into it. So, you know, guys like Frank Lloyd Wright definitely had to have been influenced by that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, he even talks about city planning. Um, and But the fourth book is really the big one because... It's got 26 chapters that talk about the Roman temples, and he actually puts all of, like, the dimensions and everything in. Well, so he's talking about— I got to get my hands on this book. Yeah. I, I so It's still available on Amazon for, like, 20 bucks. Four Books of Architecture by Andrea Palladio. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I'll see. I'll put a I'll try and put a link if I can find a, a good link um, in the description. <clears throat> yeah. Um, he has the golden rectangle in it, and we mm. use that all the time. Yeah. Um, Much to the... Uh, the chagrin, chagrin of some clients are like, can you make it shorter? I'm like, this looks like crap. <laughs> just going through that yesterday. I know. They're like, it's getting a little close to the ceiling. I'm like, okay, well, you're better off just not doing it if you're going to yeah. want to do it like this. Yeah. How, how many times do we have to, uh, and I don't want to sound like, you know, the like the typical, like, we know better, but, but we do, we know, do better. know better because... We are just bringing forward the thoughts of, you know, a thousand, two thousand years of yeah. proven design aesthetic. If it's good enough for nature, it's good enough for you. <laughs> Here's something I'll read. Mathematicians since Euclid, if we've heard of Euclid geometry, have been exploring the golden ratio. The golden rectangles often used in developing pleasing proportions where the relationship between the long side and the short side is the golden ratio, mm -hmm. which is about 1 to 1.618, and it goes on and on. Yep. Uh, also explained as A plus B divided by A equals A divided by B. Mm. Yeah, so to simplify that, like if you want to practically use the golden ratio, let's say you're building the box, and you want it to be 10 inches in this direction, then it's going to be 16.1 inches and, you know, right. you know, 16 and an eighth in the other direction. That gives you a golden rectangle. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. So if you're designing, you know, a, a piece of furniture and you have a set dimension then and then, you know, you have another dimension that's open, you can use the golden ratio to sort of get something that's going to, and then you, you can massage it a little oh, bit. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely massage point. it. Um, I use it a lot. Like if I have a, an upper cabinet and I'm looking for a place to divide the lower door from the upper door, like it's a two door thing with the shorter door up top, I'll, I'll that's my first go to there. Yeah. Then you divide it by 1.61, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So you can use it. Yeah. You can either multiply or divide. I wrote down here, we could easily spend a whole show exploring the golden ratio. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what we'll do the uh, Patreon about. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like sounds like a thriller. Boy, you really got to be a nerd. <laughs> Some kind of furniture nerd. Is there, are there furniture nerds? Yeah, you're looking at two of them. <laughs> if you want to get better, you know, all this stuff is important. <clears throat> it we is. We may never build a Chippendale chair, but looking at it, you're learning about, you know, different ideas and techniques and, and you know, like music. Yeah. If you might be a heavy metal musician, but listening to, you know, uh, Beethoven could be beneficial. That's right. And then Chuck Berry. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so how long, how long we got? Um, we've been going for 35 minutes. All right. So we'll, we'll, um, we'll skim through some of this stuff, but, it's important to know where we came from to know where we're going. Mm -hmm. that, and um, that's that's kind of how we look at it. Yeah. So where is colonial furniture developing? Um, first, the first city is Boston. Boston's the main city in uh, pre-revolutionary times. Oh, look, we have pictures of it in uh, 
Uh, Temple of Trajan. Oh, no picture there. But. That's a bad link. Gonna have to talk to the copy editor. Let's see, golden rectangle. Oh, yeah, there's the golden rectangle. Yeah, we'll show that to, uh, that's a great way. That's a great way to divide up a couple of base cabinets. Yeah. It it shows you the relationships there between the the A and the B, and then the A plus B. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, it's amazing how often it appears in nature, like uh, you know the Fibonacci sequence yep. and the Nautilus, all that stuff. Um. Da Vinci's Vitruvi Vitruvian man. That's mm -hmm. the guy standing in the circle. Yep. <clears throat> so um, Boston is the leading colonial city in early 18th century, early 1700s. Um, they're the first to grab onto all these new styles. Right. They're the trendsetters. They're like, um, you know, like what New York is now, what Milan is to fashion. Mm -hmm. They're they're picking these things up first, and it's sort of filtering down from there. Yeah, New England's had the most time to, you know, get established and because that's, that's where most people were coming into. Right. They they grab onto the cabriole leg. Mm -hmm. They're making furniture a little bit more comfortable. Um, and they're starting to produce thousands of Queen Anne-style chairs, which is just that one step down from the Chippendale. Right. Yeah. So th is that what we're looking at here? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That's it. You can see um, it's it's like a really simplified version of a queen of a Chippendale. The the back splat is solid, mm -hmm. but they you know they are making some curves in there. They're they're playing with the negative space. Um, well, let me uh, zoom. Yeah. You know it's got. Oh, there we go. You got the front legs that, that are sort of like a heavy-duty cabriole in a way. Yep. Um, what in the... So funky uh, thing. They're making these things by the thousands up in Boston, and they're a hit. And they're sending them down through the colonies. Mm -hmm. um, so... You Much know, less elegant than... Yeah. The, um, I mean, if we had a side-by-side... It, that would look like a chair that, like, we would make compared to Chippendale, right? Yeah, like, this I, this I can't get, get no, with. you can't get excited about this chair, can no, you? No, it's got a weird sort of stance. It's kind of bow-legged with mm -hmm. the cabriole legs in the front and the just uh, curved legs in the back. Look at the turnings down there that little, hold the legs yeah, together. a little clunky. Right. I mean, it, it, it really is just not as good. Um... So Philadelphia, if you're, if, if, you know, we got a shop in Philly mm -hmm. and we see our town flooded with all these chairs coming out of Boston, we got to do something. That shot's fired. <laughs> so, so Philly, they, they try and, uh, you know, come up with their own style of chair and it's their own take on the Queen Anne. Okay. Look at it. Now, what would, look at that. That's a little nicer. It is, isn't it? Still, uh, the proportions are a little strange. It is. It's, I mean, look at the the back legs, the way they kind of just like 
plop down like yeah, that. Yeah. They're actually they seem to be more narrow than the widest point of the mm-hmm. bag. Um, I, I'm not into this whole cabriole leg in the front and and the straight leg in the back. It, it looks like somebody sitting like this, like. <laughs> yeah, you can see they they do a little bit uh, more work on the splat and the negative space. Has more of a design in it if you if you see it. Yep. Um, now we're going to get to the third city where, um, from my studying, this is where I would consider American furniture really uh, beginning, mm-hmm. and that's Newport, Rhode Island. Ah, uh, the picture's so small. Newport. Oh, that's this is the chest of drawers. Oh, okay. Let's see if we can get a bigger picture. In Newport, they're taking these. Woo! And there's the there's the the identifying feature of the Newport design. That's shell carving. Yep. Look at the legs on the Newport. Yeah, it's like piece. he's wearing little shoes. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> Those are like Italian it. boots. <laughs> it's exactly how my notes describe it too. A uh, little slipper feet. Um, but this is this is what you think of when you think of furniture from that time period. Yeah. You think of let's say the Chippendale chair and this Newport. Uh, I guess you'd call it a, a, a table, a chest, yeah, um, a cabinet. This is more akin to the like uh, Queen Anne revival mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So the furniture makers up in Newport, they're they're starting to stake their claim, mm-hmm. and um, we'll get into who these these actual cabinet makers were in um, in the next episode. But it it's it's quite a leap forward. Yeah, it, uh, I mean we're just looking at this photo and admiring it. Um, and let's see what else we got here. We got, I mean, we'll talk about the publication of, uh, Chippendale's, um, book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I have one note here on Chippendale. We've been kind of putting them up on a pedestal and deservedly so. Yeah. But I, I have a, a note here that says he didn't invent all of the styles that his furniture, um, contains but he did combine all these things right um and this is a good word he codified the reigning fashions in england for his creative blend of gothic asian and french rococo design Hmm. all right we're gonna have to start trying to wrap this episode up we got 20 minutes oh we do yeah all right good good so um we can talk a bit about um, Chippendale's design because this is that's really the the pinnacle of um, this period of furniture. There's another example, um, and you can see it's quite a bit heavier. Yeah, uh, but it still retains some of the the same um, elements. Yeah, so now we have like a cabriole leg, but with a ball and claw foot, and it <clears throat> it has the same cabriole in the front with a a sort of straighter leg in the back, <clears throat> but 
the execution yeah. by Chippendale is much more elegant than yeah, some yeah. of these other ones that we've seen. You know, he's got relief carved into the sides and yeah, the things that are common in in all these designs is that that solid piece in the middle that's kind of carved away. Mm -hmm. uh, the backs are very minimal as far as uh, actual material, right? But they but they speak um, very loudly mm -hmm. to the design. Upholstered seat. Yeah, I mean, you saw earlier in the early American more of like a ladder back kind of style chair where mm -hmm. where you had horizontal negative space all of these it's really vertical yeah. where you have the two sides and then the splat in the back with all this negative space on on either side this one's got the ball and the claw on the front mm -hmm. I, I wonder if it's got a little one in the back it's hard to tell in the yeah, photo let's see if i can um, zoom in there a little bit this is a decently wow no, no. it's it's um but there's definitely some carving and detail there. Yeah, it's sort of raked and splayed, carved in. Uh, it, it's it's really amazing. Yeah, these ball and claw are really nice. You um, know, sometimes these the talons or claws can look really heavy, but these. Yeah, you could you could see the sinew in the yeah in the, these acanthus leaves here. Uh, I wish I knew like the exact history of this chair, if it had gone through any kind of restoration, because imagine how many people have sit in this chair. Sat, yeah. have, how many people have sat, sat in, in this, this chair? chair? Yeah. You know, the joints are still tight. Mm -hmm. um, I can't tell you how many chairs, modern chairs, friends of mine have brought over to the to shop. To be fixed. <laughs> to glue back together. <clears throat> and they're held together with screws and corner blocks and glue and yeah. dowels and those kind of flat staples mm -hmm. and, and they can't they can't stay together for five years. Yeah. <clears throat> um really, really nice. So let's talk about the the three kinds of Chippendale. Um like there's the English version was the modern version. When people say Chippendale and they're not like qualifying it. Mm -hmm. That's what they mean. That's, that's a Chippendale piece. Right. Um, uh, but Chippendale also worked in Gothic, um, and with ecclesiastical motifs, uh, church motifs. And I put in parentheses here, think of a Gothic window. Right. Um, he would employ, things like that in his scroll work and in his carvings. And the third is the Chinese Chippendale, hmm. which that first chair that we were looking at um, had bamboo motifs, fretwork, and that was a big influence on a lot of furniture makers. Yeah, like when you think of like a Chippendale railing <coughs> section, to me that seems more like of the Chinese <coughs> sort of, you know what I'm talking yeah, about, a Chippendale? Yeah. Um, which is sort of just all these intersecting diagonal yeah. uh, sections. Uh, here's where I'll backtrack a little bit. I I wrote down Chippendale shares design aesthetics with Sheridan and Heppelwhite, hmm. such as the Pierce splats, similar leg an uh, angles, and they were all influenced by Louis the Fourteenth style furniture. Um, so we'll see if Sheridan and Heppelwhite 
are are big enough categories to make it into our top twelve. Yeah, um, but they were definitely categories. Mm-hmm. Just had a couple of these that they're they're so similar. Yeah, and in Europe <clears throat> they were probably bigger than you know in the America. Right, it's like if we're in the America modern Danish yeah. modern. Right, you know, uh, so uh, we have to try and uh, delineate somehow. Chippendales chairs they they become more rectilinear. Um, outward flaring ears at the top, mm-hmm. clawing ball feet. Uh, here's this is what I wrote down, and this is something you picked up. Sharply articulated talons. Uh, smooth contours of pad and slipper feet. Um, Those slipper feet are, are funny. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so, um, this, a lot of this stuff is built in Europe. The, these these really fine pieces of Chippendale that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens is when it gets to America, it, it gets toned down a little bit. We tend to dumb things down a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> Has that been our way all along? <laughs> Let me see. Uh, did I pull up this this picture? <clears throat> that oh, yeah, might yeah, be. Yeah. I mean, that might be an American Chippendale. Yeah, that's probably why I don't. Yeah, it 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 looks like it from the description. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, his Chippendale designs were simplified and adapt adapted in the second half of the 18th century, um, and you get. Two little branches that they called country Chippendale and Irish Chippendale. Irish <laughs> Chippendale really being made in Ireland. Right. Um, I mean, here in America, we sort of have these dual identities that other yep. nations don't have. Like, I'm an Italian-American, right. German-American. <clears throat> that that doesn't exist anywhere else. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so when you say Irish Chippendale, it happened in Ireland. Right. Um but basically, these were more, you know, of the local guys doing their best to imitate a Chippendale. Yeah. Because, um, like all craftspeople, we have to go with the trends. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we got that slat wall uh, project. Yeah. <laughs> it's not something... It's not something that we pulled out of our quiver. Right. But the designer comes to us and says... This is what we want. This is what we want. <clears throat> so we do our best to replicate it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been happening forever. Uh, and with the the native Chippendales, I'll call it, they were using local woods. Yep. Um, Chippendales mahogany, as we'll learn later on, was not really available to the, the small producer. Now, is this an example of a country... Chippendale? I, uh, where'd we pull that? Is that the... Um, That's the one right after here, imported mahogany, used, and fashionable. Ah. Uh, where you got it? Right here. Yeah, that's prop... Yes, that's... And, and oh, yeah. Because I'm looking at the wood. <clears throat> yes. And it, um... I remember that's the one where I said, uh, yeah, you could see, like, it's, you know... It's not mahogany. It's, yeah, it looks... It almost, I don't know. It could be walnut, huh? Yeah. I rem- chestnut, maybe? Yeah. I remember remarking when I pulled up that photo that this was one of the rustic Chippendales. Oh, yeah, yeah. And going, holy hell. Look at hell. this pediment. <laughs> it 
with these, uh, <laughs> you know, like flame finials and this, whatever the hell you want to call this thing up here. Yeah. A lot. Is that a, is that a bird up in there? I don't know. <laughs> a lot of times they had carvers, mm-hmm. you know, like people who would just carve. And then there was the cabinet maker. But you could see on the corner, those are look like they're added on. These, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. No, no they're no. in there. It's hard to tell. All of this, uh, what do you call this? Um, dental? It's not dental. No. It's more of like a Greek kind of. Yeah. Um, that you would see on like a freeze. Another, right. You got the shell worked in here with the acanthus. Yeah, so this is a bit of a mishmash. Yeah. <clears throat> got the ball, ball and claw feet. Yeah, all around. But look at the sides. There's... There's a lot of work going on on the sides, on yeah. the bottom. Um, there's even carving. Yeah, so this is an example I of... Guess, I guess this is made to be separated. Yeah. So this look, is, uh, I guess, this is a high boy, you would call it. Yeah, chest um, on chest. Yeah, so it has um, <clears throat> handles on the sides so that you could uh, separate these two pieces, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it looks awfully rustic to me. <laughs> I could see this at the Blackthorn Resort. Yeah, <laughs> it puts things in perspective, though. Really, yeah. Um, I mean, just make look, look at, at the, the look at the curl in this. Uh, yeah, and look at the top. You know, just making that that curve all the way back. I mean, this right here, it's. Yeah, you got those bat wing brasses. Now, this is starting to look like mahogany up here. Yeah. And yeah. these are green matched across. Yep. I mean, look at the side of the case. It's one board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at this. <laughs> That's a 20-inch wide board. Yeah. Yeah, we're just marveling at it. see some signs of uh, joint implosion yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <clears throat> Not bad for, you know, a couple hundred years old. Yeah. Some guy out in his uh, shop behind the house like us. Yeah, with the dirt floor. Well, yep. probably not a dirt floor, but. Yeah, probably wood. Um, so in New England, where the influence of immigrant craftsmen was minimal, cabinet makers relied primarily on shaped facades rather than ornamental carving to impart visual interest. That would be our next. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, if you scroll down, I remember. Yeah, see <clears throat> how the, I like this design where the bottom is bigger than the top. Yeah. Look at those book match panels there on the top. Yeah, triple flame finial with a shell. Big, you know, ram's head pediment. We have grain flowing through the entire. Is this a drop? Drop. Uh, yeah, it looks like, like it. A little, like a secretary. Um, you know, the hardware up there on top. It's amazing. And these are some of the more rustic designs that uh, the local folks were making. That's crazy. That were, you know interpretive of mm-hmm. of the design of the day. And right. in this case, it was Chippendale. Um, you got wow. the ball and claw feet. Yeah, turning almost more into a bracket foot mm-hmm. with these here. And they're very small and squat. Have another shell at the bottom. 
Uh, and you can see where everybody's cognizant of the grain of the wood. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this is something we've just gotten away from. This is this is basic furniture making. Yeah. Um, that you know the folks learn this from their uh, master, mm-hmm. whatever their whatever you would call uh, the guy if you were an apprentice. Um, that that looks like that top. Everything is one piece of wood joined back together. Yeah, this is actually all carved. Yeah, yeah. Have little pullouts here. You could see the column work we were talking about. Yep. Um, with the yeah, with Palladios. the yeah, with the plinth and the pet and the the capital, mm-hmm. and then that's where it all comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, the moldings or you know the carved molding on the top. Yeah, I mean, you can see back then, like, furniture design was really based on architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways, it it kind of is now, but it's not as clear as it was then. Yeah. I mean, all of these, this is all... Almost looks like laid stonework in a way, right? Yeah. You could see that being block. Um, it's really nice. Yeah. Uh, and, and like you're saying about architecture, I mean, think about the architecture that we're in and among nowadays. You go to like these out here in the suburbs of New Jersey, you have a lot of what we call McMansions. Oh, yeah. Um, huge houses with no <laughs> proportion <laughs> at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, you go into them, there's no uh, sense of space or mm-hmm. any of that. Um, and, and this piece is just beautiful. Yeah. So, uh, I'll move on. Um, and you touched on this leisure activities become more commonplace in the late colonial period. Um, greater prosperity, widespread pursuit of refinement. Um, so now people are starting to make, different types of furniture. We're, you know, everything we've looked at up to this point has either been some kind of chest mm-hmm. or chair. Now you have tea tables, card tables, specialized furniture um, that there was no need for uh, in the early days. Yeah. I mean, who's, who's going to worry about a tea table or a card table? Yeah, I play, um, I play cards on my phone. <laughs> All right. So by 1750, Philadelphia surpasses Boston as the largest colonial city. Hmm. So now, again, just events are starting to influence and determine what's going on with furniture. Right. Um, There's more immigrants. Um, uh, Immigrant artisans trained in the latest European fashions are creating lavish interiors and furnishings for Georgian-style homes of Philadelphia's mercantile elite. Mm. So what does that mean? These people that are making their money buying and selling, importing, exporting, they are building these huge homes and trying to emulate, you know, the rich folk, the landed gentry in Europe. Yep. Um, Man, I, I wish there was money like that getting spent around here. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Those people had taste back then. Now these people don't have any taste. 
That's the problem. <laughs> New York. All right. New York makes an appearance. Yeah. New York also benefits from a, a big surge in immigration mm-hmm. in the years preceding the revolution. So we're still pre-revolutionary. Um, but uh, it, I see here as I'm, you know, reading and learning, I'm always at uh, Wikipedia. Uh, you can't trust it, you know, in and of itself. I check with Wikipedia, Britannica, yeah, the yeah. museum websites are really good for this stuff. Yeah. Almost all of these photos are from the Met Museum. Yeah. Yeah. They had the best quality images mm-hmm. I found. Um, down in New York, as opposed to like up in Boston, you have more loyalists, people who are more strongly tied to Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of tells you maybe why Newport, Rhode Island, sort of, uh, you know, in the backyard of Massachusetts is is developing their own signature style. Mm-hmm. Whereas in New York, they're they're kind of just mimicking the European styles. Um, yeah, here's, that's exactly what I, I got ahead of myself. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've read and written this thing so many times. Oh, I'm yeah. trying to follow along my script. Uh, by contrast, the, the most original American furniture was made in Newport, Rhode Island, as opposed to New York, right. Philadelphia, um, where there were native cabinet makers up in Newport. Um, and we're going to touch on Townsend, Goddard. Um, Pete Townsend? It, yeah, I don't know. There could be a relationship there. You know, That's you're related to Disbrow, so yeah. we, we don't know. Disbrow. Disbrow. <laughs> don't start that Jacobean thing. Um, I also note here, and we've, we've said it before, the transition from... All of these things, but Queen Anne to Chippendale, it's not immediate. It's not universal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's happening faster in some places. Think about, like, before the Internet, how, like, people on the coast would dress compared to people in the Midwest. Right. You know, they would, like, it would be 1990, but they're still wearing uh, those leggings over their jeans <laughs> yeah. in places like Acid Wash, Des, Mo- Des Moines. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause, so that's kind of what happens with furniture at right. this time as well. Um, the news doesn't travel. Fashion and style doesn't travel at the same rate. And populations influence, you know, what's accepted. Yeah. Um, outside major cities... Uh, change is really gradual, and sometimes it's not even perceivable. Yeah. Um, People are, are far more isolated yes, and insulated. Yes. Um, so in the, in the uh, outer boroughs, <laughs> you, might, you might find some guy still, still making a, a Caroline Yeah, you're making a Hartford chest? Come on, it's 1730. <laughs> Nevertheless, I write. It's like the people in the Midwest wearing like uh, Ed Hardy t-shirts. <laughs> what is it, 2006? Yeah. <laughs> Nevertheless, by the 1780s, and now we're, we're you know, basically marking the end of uh, colonial. And I guess they call it colonial because... 
it's the revolution. They're using the yeah, revolution yeah. to mark that time. Uh, sweeping curves of Queen Anne and the exuberant ornament of the Rococo were giving way to renewed interest in classical precedence. I have to say this, uh, this example you have here of the main New York, mm-hmm. this to me is starting to look very federal. That's it. That's where we're coming. You have these big bracket feet in the back. It's very rectilinear. Yep. Um, much more simplified. This, you know, is with the big freeze there. You mm-hmm. lose the pediment and the and the big shells and stuff. That's exactly it. That's the that's you know basically the next dominant form. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you could look at the jump. You know, you go. From from that to federal, I wonder what that says about, um, you know, the mindset. People wanted to make a clean break, mm-hmm. and so now with the federal style, people are are trying to find their feet with with something new. It's like we're gonna have to ditch all this stuff that came over from Europe. Yeah, what do we got left? <laughs> yeah, so you can go back to the classics. You yeah, know. which I think I, I'm not. I don't really know a lot about federal, um, but yeah, when I think of federal, I think more of like a Greek kind of influence. Mm-hmm. And you see the pediments over doors and stuff start to just be, um, just like straight peaks, right? Rather than these big ram's head sort of pediments. Um, the fr- you know have those frieze details that that scream sort of Greek. Uh, well, I'll be interested to see because <clears throat> I don't know right now. If federal and Greek revival are related, yeah, because I think there are some elements of that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, the the curves disappear and the lines, the straight lines, make a comeback. Yeah, well, um, all you know at the end of uh, the revolutionary period. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll, you know, that that's going to become a topic as we go through this time period because it's unavoidable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's the formation of America as we know it. Um, so we'll, uh, of course have played a part. Yeah. Um, let me summarize and then we'll, uh, we'll discuss. Boston's the first prominent center of furniture production. The, the Queen Anne-style chair is developed, and uh, thousands get exported to the other colonies. Um, what I didn't know was walnut really wasn't uh, prevalent up in New England, so when they were uh, exporting these chairs, walnut was coming back from, like, Virginia, Mid-Atlantic, mm-hmm. and, and that's how walnut made its way up into uh, New England. Uh, Philly responds with their version of the Queen Anne. We noted that. Uh, and New York's uh, loyalist immigrant population. Bastards. <laughs> they they kind of respond as well. They'll get theirs. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> Boston, New York, and Philadelphia, they're all still working in the vernacular of Europe. Mm-hmm. But Newport. Newport, Rhode Island really becomes America's first original American design. Good for them. Um, and I I ended up with Chippendale Arrives. Yeah, the real uh, spearhead of the 
of the um I was going to say the maker movement, you know, where <laughs> it starts to become about the actual, you know, the the guy who's making the furniture. It's not yeah. it's not this is the style of, the, of this king who's in power right now. No, this is Chippendale came up with this. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I'm sure people will relate to it. Yeah. Um this was a pretty interesting uh segment for me. You know, I learned so much while while picking up all this stuff. Yeah. I I mean, just even time and place. I had no idea that Chippendale was this old, I'll say. I didn't know he was so closely related to the Jacobean period. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the the impact it had, I, I didn't even grasp yeah. until I started seeing it, you know, more and more. Um what do you think? Um, I didn't know that I had such a a taste for Queen Anne furniture. <laughs> you know, because you see so much bad, so many bad examples. That, yeah, you know, when you see the good ones, like wow. Um, yeah, those chests, um, especially the simpler ones. I'm not not big on the heavy ornamentation. Mm-hmm. I'd like to have one. I mean, yeah. and if I had, like, this is something I would probably do in retirement. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, spend the months that I would need to learn all the skills yeah. <laughs> to make a chest like that. Because we, I mean, we we made uh, a big chest. And it probably, what? how long did it take us? Three weeks to make that? Uh, yeah, I don't remember. Something like that. You know, but we and we learned a few skills along the way. You yeah. made bracket feet. Yeah. We carved those panels by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, we it was solid cherry, so we you know glued up all the panels mm-hmm. and and made um, you know a similar attempt in that way. Yep, much simpler top. Yeah, yeah. Um, but definitely, yeah, an homage to these sort of Queen Anne. Yeah, it was a you know it was kind of an amalgamation of a couple of different styles. Yeah, the we had a different, there were a little different aesthetic coming from our design shop. Yeah, and there was you know there was constraints that we were working with. So. Right, the client uh, called in, uh, <laughs> they they played their their ace, yeah, and we had yeah. <laughs> we had <laughs> much to our chagrin. <laughs> There's that word again. Yeah, to fit different elements in that were, you know, sort of um, requirements of the design into and the and the functionality and the limitations of of space and material and all those things. So yeah, we kind of ended up this mishmash of like a bunch of different yeah, things. Yeah. And certain things we would have, you know, like those feet had to be so small because the mm-hmm. ceiling is only so big. Right, so tall. right. Then we got to fit all these elements inside the bottom and inside the top. And so, right. yeah, it ended up being. Exactly. The bottom case had to be a certain height so mm-hmm. that the hot water unit would fit in it. Yep. The total height was restrained by the ceiling. Mm-hmm. So that limited. And then we had things in the top. Yep. We had to make the top a certain height just to make it look somewhat close to proportion. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was really tough. So that's that's it for this week. Yeah. We had some uh some good vocabulary. A Jacobean. Yeah. Codify. I think uh we might be finding our groove a little bit into the new new um format. 
Yeah. It's a dog up there. You hear him? What the hell? <laughs> Just crying. <laughs> the poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> he knows he's got to be quiet. It's podcast day. Yeah. You know, you had to get up and stretch. He's quiet anyway. <laughs> um, we got to thank the Gold Tier patrons. We have Adam Podhast, Colin Lai, Corey Ty, David Murphy, David Shoemaker, Jerry Greenan, Keith Drennan, Manny Seriani. Thanks, yeah, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'll say, you know, if, in case you didn't know, I'm wearing my Maker's Camp uh, yeah. T-shirt. That's right. I wore mine yesterday. Yeah. It's nice. A nice little part of our gift bag. Yeah. It fits, fits nicely. Yeah. They're actually the same T-shirts that we have for Green Street. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No wonder it fit right away. Uh, I want to mention vesting finishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make hard wax oils. You know, if you've ever used Rubio Monaco, it's the same same sort of finish. Uh, we got turned on to them. We'll go uh. ring the dog's neck. Uh, <laughs> got turned on to them about uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, the One of the owners of the company, Zach, came out, demoed the finishes for us. We got to hang out with him for, you know, a better part of a day. Super nice guy. The finish is really nice. We did a bunch of samples, even side-by-side side with Rubio. Um, and I don't know. To me, it goes on a little nicer. It, it wipes off better. It feels dry faster. You know, it's basically the same exact price point as Rubio uh, made in Holland versus Belgium. Um, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of it so far. I think we're, we're you know, we're, we've made the switch basically from, yeah. from Rubio over to Vesting, but... Um, if you're interested, you can save 10% with the code American Craftsman. Um, it'll be on, they sell through their their um, partner's websites like R, RPM Coding Solutions, something like that. If you Google Vesting USA, um, you'll find it. They're, uh, they're based out of Pennsylvania, the American branch of the company. So yeah, if you use American Craftsman, you get 10% off. And they're not hopping on Rubio. They've been doing this for 60 years. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. They've been around for a long time. Um, they just haven't really been in America. Right. Yeah, they have, you know, 40 colors, I think, in the U.S. and Europe. They have, like, over 100 colors. Mm -hmm. um, they have this really cool LED cured finish, which um, we're going to be making a little video about. Um, not for the, Not for the casual user finish no. it's a, an investment to get into the light and stuff you know the light is is several thousand dollars it's more of like a production sort of thing but you can put on it's a hard wax oil you can put it on <clears throat> hit it with this light and it's it's cured instantly you yeah. know versus seven day cure with the uh with the regular finish yeah nice stuff yeah well let's wrap up i gotta go see the dog is crying upstairs i gotta see what the hell you want to just go out the poor guy that's he doesn't do that <laughs> <laughs> Well, we appreciate it. Uh, we'll Woo. see you here in about 10 minutes for the next episode. Yeah, one in the books. Yeah, we'll see you. You'll be listening to that in about three weeks from now. Right. Yeah. Ciao. All right. Bye.